0: Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn. That's me coming to you this week for the Nantucket Comedy Festival on beautiful Nantucket Island where my two partners in crime are not this week. Uh, Joining me every week, as always, is uh, Sam Griswold, producer, a specialist who's just luxuriating in in the Azuri win in the Euros. Uh, We're going to talk about that a little bit. And also Grail Hallett, our media uh, executive, um, who's got a lot to talk about as well, because the numbers, guys, were very good uh, in these, boy, these last 10 days, man, our our televisions were all on fire. So uh, busiest week of the year for me and uh, a lot of soccer. So I I was able to fit most of it in, but we'll talk a lot about it today. Our guest on OTB will be Mike Wartola. Uh, executive uh, editor of Soccer America. Mike has these great player ratings that we always check out, and uh, we kind of agree most of the time on what he what he says. He's not uh, not shy about getting stuck in and um, and talking about who deserves praise and who deserves a little bit of criticism. So, guys, before we get started, uh, so much to talk about. We're going to talk about the U.S. men's national team, uh, their, their real first test, I feel like, with Canada uh, this week. And we'll talk about that with Mike uh, a bit. But uh, let me get your thoughts. What are you guys over this week on over the ball, uh, Sam?
2: Yeah. So one myth I would like to dispel. And first off, as you said, Kevin, I'm absolutely thrilled with Italy's win in the Euro. Uh, yeah. I thought it was a fantastic performance. The most entertaining Italy team I've ever watched. And they earned and, a tough road to and, toe in the way. They yeah. Are. Yeah. I, I, just fantastic. Uh, What I'm over, though, is this sort of narrative that they came back from the dead, essentially, to win this (laughs) tournament after missing out on the 2018 World Cup. I will certainly concede that missing a World Cup is... Is awful, And uh, in Italy, you know, the national team can captivate a lot of people's imaginations who don't necessarily follow soccer super closely. We had right. a family, for example, watching with us the final who, you know, they don't care about City A, but they love watching these tournaments. So the fact that they missed it obviously hits people really hard. But I would just like to point out, you know, in that round of qualifying, they were in a group with Spain uh, to whom they finished second and that Spain team went 9-0-1. So there was really no chance of them winning that group. And then they played Sweden in a two off penalty uh, two off playoff who are you know, proving time and again how hard a team they are to play against and break down. If you look at the two games, Italy absolutely dominated in terms of the underlying numbers, possession, shots on goal, et cetera, uh, and just got, I guess, a little bit unlucky. Uh, And to go back even further in 2016 at the Euro, Italy were actually one of the best teams. They beat Belgium in the group stage. They beat Spain in the knockouts, both pretty convincingly, and lost to Germany in the quarterfinals. So yes missing the world cup is a huge you know disaster if you want to call it that but this is not a team that came completely out of nowhere is is yeah. all i'd like to say
1: yeah look and i always say when people say oh the us didn't qualify for the world cup i said hey by the way italy didn't either it's it's mm-hmm. not a given i think uh, the us got a little bit spoiled uh mm-hmm. with you know making so many world cups in a row and this is and look like well, we England sweden and denmark before
3: either yeah. yeah
1: yeah but the you know sweden denmark i mean all these teams are there's more parity in world soccer now No, and so, there's a lot
2: of talk about how Man- mancini revolutionized this italy team which he did you know he has them playing a very different style but another huge thing that emerged from this was that the italian federation finally woke up to how like the seating and the rankings work in fifa uh which was a big reason that italy got put in a group with spain in the beginning so that, that's another what another do you mean we unpack that it. a
1: little bit sam so the
2: rank, the fifa rankings sort of determine what group you go into mm-hmm, right for right. qualifying you know from different pots etc and it uh it takes into account like friendly matches previous tournaments etc and a lot of teams have figured out how to sort of maximize that maximize the value of that by scheduling certain friendlies and whatnot and Italy oh, had okay. really not figured that out and right. it it came back to haunt them
1: well I mean even in the Serie A you know you look how the Premier League has just moved forward ahead head of the line with everybody I know that frustrates you you know but it's sort of like mm-hmm. they're playing the game Mm-hmm. They're playing the game, you know, there's this new uh, new way to, of looking at this game. So yeah, uh, for Real, sure. what, what are you over?
3: Um, I am over the ongoing second class citizenship that soccer uh, feels on US TV. And I'm, I'm just going to make a specific example. I t- tuned into the Copa America final and uh, had to spend the next 45 minutes to an hour watching the end of an A's Rangers baseball game because contractually FS1 you know, has a MLB contract, they have to show the end of the game. So there was uh, no pregame. So Rob Stone, Alexi, and those guys must've been absolutely irate because not only was there no pregame, the game started on FS2 um, past the, the time it was supposed to start. And then they had to move it over to FS1. And that was all because we had to watch an Oakland A's Texas Rangers game they went into extra innings. And I was like, if this is not what soccer has had to face our whole you had to life. battle it
1: all along. Yeah. Exactly. So you're yeah. the media
3: guy. Um,
1: how does that – because the numbers were much higher for the games, the soccer games, than they were for that baseball game. I well, remember. but it
3: contractually, you know, you know, FS1 has X number of games that they're contractually obligated to broadcast with Major League Baseball. And, yeah, well. and, 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 and to its conclusion – So amazingly, I mean, again, I would have had somebody at the head of Fox Network say, guys, we've got Messi and Neymar waiting, you know, on tap here. And we can't break
1: the contract, right?
3: Yeah, no, they can't. So that's I mean, that's the unfortunate thing. It was just like another indignity as a soccer fan. We've
1: always been second class citizens, I think. But with the the numbers ratings that we've had for this, you know, these tournaments, they're big and they're going to be noticed.
3: Well, and also, yeah. I'm just saying, if you're Rob Stone and Alexi, and they've been promoting the hell out of this game, and we not, we, we not only don't see any of them in the pregame, but we actually start on FF, FS2, like, you know, it, with the start of the game, I was just like, here we go. Yeah. All right,
1: there's a bar in Nantucket that I watched the game. It's called Charlie Nobles. We call it Chernobyl, and I watched the game, <laughs> Perfect. and they, they, uh, they were watching it in Spanish, so they saw the whole game so uh and no one ever changed it so yeah uh we got to be mindful of that too so yeah. all right well good stuff guys so we, we've talked a little bit about the euros uh, you know i think we've talked about the italian team it's great great look uh you know italy does well it's good for the world it's good for the game so it was nice now england on the other hand yeah i had been really praising those guys because they're a new generation of english players they're not so stoic and you know uh I mean, I think the English, what is so annoying is they sort of acted like we invented the game and uh, we invented the game and, and, and you got to deal with it. We're the best and you're, they're not the best. So, so here you have an English team, Sam, and you'll see this like in comparison to the Italians. I thought these guys, these young guys had a swagger, a real, really a good winning kind of attitude. Apparently they were really together as a team. And I liked the way they played at times. Uh, They shut down against the Italians, though, after they scored that goal, especially the second half. You agree?
2: Yeah. I mean, in general, I I like the trend that English soccer is on. And I'm really, you know, into a lot of the younger guys. I I wish we saw them a little bit more.
1: Yeah, that was surprising.
2: You know, I I understand bringing Rashford and um, Sancho on late in the game because they're they're good penalty takers. But I mean, I, I can't help but. I see a little bit of the symbolism in bringing those guys on in the 118th minute in the final of the Euro when you know maybe they could have been used a little bit earlier. Sure. Um, but that said, it's hard to it's hard to question Southgate too much considering that you know he got them to the final and they got to the semifinals of the World Cup and you know it had been a really really barren stretch for England uh, you know leading well, yeah, up to that for a long time.
1: But conversely, I feel like as hard as the Italian road was, the English had a really easy road there and they were playing in Wembley, so it was all set for them and. They almost just snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. I mean, that's just the way they shut down and and sort of started to play that old style again, just not lose Uh, and yet be afraid to play, really. Because they they have the the wherewithal. It's hard to tell. It's hard to tell about
2: that first goal, whether that put them more back in the shell or whether they were going to set out to play that way anyway. I feel like based on what I'd seen in the tournament, that was probably going to be their approach because I think we're always going to outpossess them in the midfield and dictate, you know, sort of the play a little bit more. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know, it's, it's a tall ask, you know, they scored in the second minute, 88 minutes of, you know, fending off the, uh, the Italian side, yeah, it's, and it was it's not going easy.
1: It smacked of inevitability. And I think the English have turned it into a loss in a weird way. It could have been a very positive thing. That team played well at times in that tournament. Um, like I said, a new sort of English team. Uh, they lose in the finals of the Euros. That's, that's not a bad thing uh, to a great Italian team. And uh, and then they just kind of screwed all up by by criticizing, getting racist with the, the comments about the three players, three young players, by the way, who can take them to the World Cup uh, deep into the cup. You know, it's just and the, it, the press gets involved again, the English press, which had been behaving itself pretty much. And mm. uh, it, it was unfortunate. So um, they talk about it. It's a divided country, much like ours is right now. And, and that team brought them together for a few weeks and uh, then it just blew up in their faces at the end. So it's unfortunate.
2: Yeah, I think I'm just curious to get, you know, Grails perspective on this because, you know, when it really when right. when, a, right, when a match good. comes down to penalty kicks, you know, I I don't think it's quite the lottery that some people say it is, but it can obviously either go it can go either way. Um and, you know, I think the press in Italy had Italy lost would have been more forgiving than the English press, because I think already to get to the final to lose to England at Wembley on penalties would have been seen as a, as a solid achievement. There would have been a few questions I think asked about a few guys and a few decisions Mancini made, but ultimate overall, I think it would have been a positive kind of response. So yeah, I'm curious to hear from Grail what, He thinks the response from the English press and just sort of English fans in general would have been uh, had Southgate um, well, had England won this. tournament. basically, what would people have said about Southgate? Well, there would have been
3: there would have been a coronation and uh, it would have been (laughs) it would have been a lifetime of misery lifted. I mean, you know, the England fans are very much like the Boston Red Sox fans were before Mm -hmm. they actually won anything. They almost invite bad things to happen they almost willing they will misery on themselves so i think it would have just been like a national um kind of just taking the weight off the country in a way if they if they went i don't think there would have been as much gloating though i just think would have been more like oh my god i can't believe it's finally happened um and it was just you know Look, as, as I said to you, Sam, um, Italy Italy deserved it because they played the best soccer throughout the tournament. The, the worst thing to me was Shaw scoring in the second minute made England suddenly go into a more defensive posture. Mm-hmm. And I think in a way, had they not scored early, they would have been a little bit more attack-minded, even though the formation Southgate picked, uh, picked I thought, was too defensive to begin with. Mm-hmm, right. But uh, so look, Mancini's a better tactical coach. I th- thought it became very, uh, you know, it was very obvious, obvious during that game. The way that evolved is Mancini knew kind of the strings to pull. Southgate, mm-hmm. not as much. I think Southgate is great with players. I think he's great with the press. I just don't mm-hmm. think he's quite uh, the tactician that Mancini is. And he was kind of outwitted in that match.
1: Right. And just a bountiful amount of games for us to watch that you got the, the cope America final, you know, they did an NBA trick, which is to, to just push two marquee players. And guys, I think we talked about it last week on the show. It's always a letdown when you sort of focus on two players, because it's a team sport, especially soccer, 11 guys, you know, it's, uh, and, and in that regard. The, the two big stars didn't carry the day, but but Messi really carried the day uh, in so many other ways. And I think people just want so to see great. that happen.
3: You know, as a fan, I had so many friends reach out to me who are, again, kind of, you know, borderline soccer fans who just yeah. love see... mm-hmm. First of all, I just think Messi is beloved by a lot more people than the Ronaldos and the Neymars of the world. It's hard to not like Messi, frankly. Well, I
1: think you're on a scale there. I think everyone loves Messi. Yeah. Lots of people like Ronaldo and not yeah. many people like Neymar.
3: Right. So I, I thought it was just interesting. It didn't surprise me the way the game unfolded, you know, in the sense that everybody thought it was going to be Neymar versus Messi, like some prize fight. And it, and it just wasn't, it was a very physical game. I've got to applaud the referee. Because oh, that. that game could have gotten off the rails at any moment. I mean, Adam Mendy and some other guys were going in like, almost like doing, you know, UFC type moves. And uh, yeah, and it ends up being decided on one Semi broken play, long ball. You know, mistake. nice finish. Nice finish. Yeah, Mistake by the defender, but great first touch by Demaria and great dink over the, over, uh, over over Ederson. And that was the game. Now, I mean, that wasn't the whole game, but then it was Argentina playing. I thought really good defense. I got to be honest with you. I thought Argentina really stepped up for Messi. Yeah, they worked hard. I mean, I think they were. You know, before it used to be
1: on Messi, and then after a while they said this guy's been successful at every level. He always plays well, and yet. Now the onus is on you guys to step up with him. He's not going to carry you. We carry him, and he'll lead us to victory. So it was was a wonderful thing. And then I don't know how Barcelona signed him for a five-year deal, but apparently they did. I don't know where they got the money. That's a big couch you have to kind of find some coins under.
3: They're going to have to move some serious players. I mean, they're going to have to move, you know, Coutinho, Griezmann, Dembele, maybe a Ter Stegen. They're going to have to move guys that that can generate significant amounts of money yeah. to be able to do it. Now, that, so the, the first piece is they've got the five-year deal, whatever, but it's not done because they've got to free up the money, frankly. Mm-hmm. So it'll so it'll be interesting. But you know, as a purist, I love the fact that he resigned, and I love the fact that he's going to finish his career in Barca. He just may not have many good players around him. That's the problem. Well, and then you get
1: criticized as a player for that. Um, You know, a lot of guys, uh, whether you're talking Tom Brady or other ones, take a hit contractually so they can have better players around them,
3: you know, uh, to make well, he did. There.
2: Messi did take a big pay cut. He fifty yeah. percent.
3: He took I mean, a fifty percent pay cut. I mean, he made he made it possible for it to mm. even be be yeah. a yeah. possibility. Yeah, yeah. Oh,
1: and which just shows you who he is, man. It's yeah. uh, it's yeah. amazing. That's why everybody likes him. Yeah. Just one other thing, skill. funny
3: quickly about <laughs> Neymar is I just I just again I felt like it was such a mistake for him to make these bold statements before the game because you set yourself up for failure and uh, and again of the two players i actually thought neymar played better than messi in the game in terms of the situations he created but but again he's left like in a heap of tears at the end of the game because, because he's and and by the way he he did flop about 12 times during the game
1: um, yeah, on, on you top, know, yeah. I mean, yeah, he's a, th- a th- I guess that's just his thing. And I know he gets beat up, but it's, it's the way it is. They don't get beat up like they used to these players you know, well, back the, in the, uh, the uh, 70s and 80s. did a very 80s. good
3: job of managing that because that was right on a knife's edge of becoming like six guys being sent off over the course of that game. It was mm. really, really physical.
2: Interestingly, speaking of how much everybody loves uh, Messi, apparently there's a big faction of people in Brazil who were really rooting for Argentina in this game. A, because they were really against the fact that brazil agreed to host the tournament and be, yeah and be just because
1: of how much they love messi and it became quite a big like you know talking point
2: i yeah. love that i
1: love that because you know at the end of the day look we're, we're not from our you know not argentina fans uh, you know everybody loved to watch barcelona play but wouldn't say that we're you know like you with your chelsea or you know you, you with your Serie a, sam you just no matter where you're from you watch that man play and you're like Wow, it's just yeah. wonderful to watch. It's just incredible and that's, you know, the purity of this sport that we uh, that we love so much. And it was so for an Ar- great for a Brazilian to love Ar- an Argentinian player. Oh my god, that's yeah. that's huge.
3: And I was even pleasantly surprised at how much it meant to Messi. I I was mm-hmm. not prepared for the joy for him to show like it just shows like how much this has been weighing on him. Mm-hmm. And it was great to see his his fellow players just totally celebrating with him. I mean it was just a great moment, I thought. Yeah. All right. So we got uh well, we've gone over everything. We've gone
1: over the ratings. You want to talk about those quickly, grill I mean yeah, well, just I mean, just
3: just, just the bottom line way up. I mean if you look at the uh England Italy final, which again I thought was going to draw a big rating because of the Italian American population and just familiarity of Americans with England generally, mm-hmm. you know, they got nine point more four million viewers. Uh, the, the rating itself on ESPN was 6.5 million. It was per, or 43% over the 2016 Euro final. Uh, so if you look at just comparatively everything versus 2016, way up Copa America did a really good uh, rating for their final 5.3 million on FS1 and Univision. So yeah, all just collectively it was very good news between Gold Cup, Euros and Copa America. The ratings are on an ascend, ascending track which is nothing but great. but great. But and by the way, I do want to say one thing. I thought John Strong and Stu Holden were really good. They did both Copa America and they yeah, they found their World groove. Cups. And yeah, and I you know me, I've been a little I've been critical of the American announcers. I think that team is
1: really good. All right. But that Grail, that speaks to my point, which is they have been together for a while and they found their groove, man. And they're great to watch. So it's sort of like, you got to give guys the chance uh, to, to, to kind of get into the world. On the flip
3: side, it really annoyed me that they took Stuart Robson out of the booth with Ian Dark and they put Taylor Twelman in there for a final. And it was every reason why I don't like Taylor Twelman. Mm -hmm. I'm like, Robson's the best color guy in the business. And I guess, You don't want it to be perceived as too English with England in the final, but I just felt like we lost a much better Color guy by putting Taylor in.
1: I like him too, but I don't mind getting an American in there. And Taylor's had his cuts, you know, his had his swing. Well, he's so. worked
3: with Ian Dark, so there's a familiarity there. But uh, yeah. I just, I, I just was missing Stuart Robson's observations. I just don't think you're you're a uh, Taylor Twelman fan, actually. Well, so. I'm I, I'm not, but I'm also a Stuart Robson fan. And I thought since they worked the entire tournament together, Ian Dark and Robson, I thought it would have made sense to have them do the final. I just thought it was an odd decision anyway right. okay so um you know we got the gold cup
1: coming up uh, over the they're playing in which is interesting but i think this, this sort of melds into uh mls josie altador he rejoined uh toronto fc after an eight week absence over a dispute with the, the coach Sam Armas, who's now gone yeah um he so, waited for
3: chris Armas to clear out his locker and then came back from orlando and yeah. said hey
1: hey i'm willing to forget everything well, and you pointed this out uh when we were off air grail about his salaries 3.6 million dollars it's two times that which bradley's making so I, you know I, I don't know what you feel about it. i think he's at the end of his career i don't think no. he's going to be called up to the u.s men's national team i think burhalter has got this group together and i think he's going to do it with and by the way he was a teammate of armistice so um, you don't want anybody to come in and, and do the prima Donna thing.
3: So, uh, it'll be interesting to see how his Toronto players respond to him. Um, I mean, Michael Bradley's a pro, so I, and he's good friends with Josie. Uh, he'll be fine. But then, yeah, I mean, I thought it was a long shot for him with the U S men's national team. Anyway, I just can't see Burhalter wanting to like bring that potentially toxic di- thing into it.
1: It'd be very disruptive. Yeah, yeah. for
3: sure. So, All right. Well, good. Well, let's take a break there
1: and uh, we'll uh, get the executive editor of Soccer America, Mike Wojtola on. So we can talk all about uh, the U.S. men's national team with him, what he's seen so far. As uh, I said earlier in the show, guys, we love his player ratings because he he goes to it. You know, there's this old sort of feeling with soccer that we used to not want to criticize our game because it was in such a tenuous position uh, with things. But, man. Uh, like you talk about grill some really real strong numbers with viewership i think we're, it's happening man it's it just keeps happening uh in increments not as fast as we've ever wanted it to but we're getting there man i think we're the getting last there. two
3: weeks have been really good for soccer yeah. in this country yeah
1: so let's uh, let's celebrate that yep. and uh, we'll take a break here and we come back uh, soccer america's mike goitola you're listening to over the ball over the ball is brought to you by soccer america go to socceramerica.com join and sign up for the soccer america pro membership it's just four dollars and 90 cents a month or 49 dollars a year and buy ticket iq the simplest and cheapest way to buy tickets go to ticketiq.com and when it asks for the promo code punch in otb10 for ten dollars off of your purchase can't lose All right, joining us now on Over the Ball, he's a frequent guest on OTB. He's the executive editor of Soccer America, and uh, we just love having him on. Mike Wojtola. Mike, hey, uh, how are you, buddy? How's it going?
0: I'm doing very well. Great to be on the show again.
1: Yeah, um, I'm um, outside on Nantucket doing this comedy festival. I talked about it a little bit at the top of the show, so if you hear a a truck going by or perhaps a harpoon sail by my head, uh, you know why. So, look, glad we have you on. Really busy week uh, busy 10 days with the soccer that we've had. It's mm-hmm. been wonderful to watch. The ratings have been great. Uh, just a lot of great stuff. So we thought with you, we would talk about the two games uh, that have been played Martinique and Haiti. Uh, we love your player ratings and we we'll talk about that a little bit. And then mostly moving forward, because it seems like Canada is going to be our first really big test. I think. So uh, what are your thoughts so far on what we've seen from the U S men's national team? Yeah.
0: I mean, first of all, we don't know how much we can, um, Assess based on you know the opponents right. but um you know martinique which is a country that's not really a country it's a french department or state that isn't recognized by fifa um but by CONCACAF. it's a kind of interesting uh situation there but um you know the last time the u.s played martinique in the gold cup uh they only won 3-2 and the time before that it was 2-0 and, and yesterday it was 6-1 um i also think that you know if you beat a team six one you know if they didn't win that much but you ex- they did what you expected them to do and they did it in a pretty pretty impressive way you know i mean i'm not saying they played you know jogo bonito for for 90 minutes but um it seemed to me that in that game there was some rhythm off and on you know there was some there was more cohesion that the one zero went over haiti and now haiti's a better yeah. team because I mean, they Katie can be actually really tough to play. I mean, it's, and it's amazing what these guys are going through considering what's happening at home. Right. Um, and, you know, and, and Canada struggled with against Haiti in the beginning, but then they beat them 4 um, one. But the U S performance against Haiti, I, I, you know, it was, it wasn't easy on the eyes. I, it reminded right. me of like a, a really good college game, you know, yeah, that, that where, where guys are athletic and they're running around and they're fast, but at this level, um, I didn't think it was the way we should be playing. So, so it, you know, he'd made seven changes in and, and, and that yeah. show. So we'll see what happens since Canada. And I think that'll be a, you know, make some real, draw some real, more, you know, more accurate conclusions against the team like Canada.
1: Yeah, but he seems to still be testing out a lot of players and rightly so. I think um, sometimes he's criticized for that. And I said, what are you going to, you know, you know, how do you get guys to, to figure out who can play where and when? So um, it's been nice to see so many players come in and out. Uh, my observation with the Haiti game is the best players I've played with ever against were Haitian players. You know, strong, skillful, uh, mean. I think I said that last week, guys. I'm like, and, you know, the, the problem is, like you said, all they're going through, plus they had the COVID problems there, uh, and yet they still put up a fight. And I think you ta- you mentioned the biggest thing that I noticed was just a lack of a rhythm. There was no real rhythm. And I think that's to be expected when players are playing different positions or trying to play themselves into a position and with new players, right?
3: Yeah.
0: Um, so, you know, this is a, we should mention that this is a B team. And and I think Bear Halter did the right thing by not bringing in the guys who have to prepare for their European season. You don't want to mess with the, the, the club seasons of our most important players. Right. The, the World Cup qualifying is obviously much more. Uh, important um but they you know i thought uh busio did a good job of he did the bit where he goes and passes with the back line which is the beginning of the build-up but he also found the you know penetrating forward passes where in the other game you had you had either you either had backward or uh vertical or what is it backward or side to side (laughs) passes vertical and then, if the pass went forward, it was kind of a you know hopeful ball that they hope someone would run onto. Where I think Busio, um, uh, Rodon had a good game, and I think Williamson actually had a pretty good game too. Um, Sands, I don't know. Zimmerman is an interesting player to me. You guys can comment on him because mm-hmm. I'm a fan of him.
1: his. I'm a fan of his, Mike. I think he might be a candidate for that. Well, position. I've been
0: liking him more than I expected. Um, yeah. And and Sands, you know, he, he was pretty impressive, too. He had some central defender who didn't foul. Both those guys brought the ball up in a sensible way a couple times. So, you know, again, Martinique, we'll see how they do against
1: Canada. So I, I was really impressed with Buccio. Uh You know, I thought he had a, a vision. Like you said, he made some good penetrating passes. He split the lines a little bit, uh, played very confidently and calmly uh, in that midfield position, checking back to the ball. But what's this, the background in him? I don't know a lot about him.
0: Yeah, Bussio is a kid who um, who moved to Kansas City, and uh, you know broke in there. I think he was like six, sixteen or seventeen. Um, you know, had some rough times there because he got there at the beginning, or the school was already going on. And was he raised um, in the
1: United States prior to yeah. that?
0: Bussio, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, he was. Uh, he 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 was. He's from um, Greensboro, North Carolina.
1: Well, he's got a bit of a, a, a European flair to his play, I think. So I've been. Uh, I don't know if that's derogatory towards American soccer. No, no. Yeah. Um, you know, we're seeing more and more players
0: like that, and and I think one way to address that is with kind of a larger issue, which is in this generation of players have have they've been watching amazing amazing soccer on TV or on their phones yes. or on the, you know more than the previous generations, and um, I think that has a. You know, peop, there's other reasons like the, the you know, the, the the MLS academies, obviously, and, and and the youth national team programs and development academy. But there is so much soccer culture now that I think kids pick up on stuff, uh, yeah. how they want to play. You know, playing like players who, um, you know, they admire, who play good soccer, who are praised. Uh, there was a little bit of that in the past, but now I think
1: it's everybody.
3: Watching yeah.
1: they mimic these great teams that they see playing. A lot of us didn't know that
3: stuff even existed. So, yeah. uh, Grail, Mike, always a pleasure having you. Um, first of all, I just wanted to say I am a fan of uh, Walker Zimmerman. I've now seen him play a few times. And I could, I could see him be the partner of Brooks when I, you know, when you look at the strong center backs that they're going to be facing up against, kind of on the world stage when we get to World Cup qualifying. I just, I've, I've been impressed with him, but. Uh, on a different note, I'm wondering if you think we're any closer to um, establishing that elusive number nine that we've been looking for. Is it is it a DK, Zardes? Is there anybody that you think is separating, or could Josie Altador end up coming back into the mix at some point? I don't
0: know about, you know, with Josie, I think it's a matter of, of, of fitness. He's had injuries. He hasn't been playing. He had the issue at Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, matthew hoppy he he didn't score uh but it was interesting to watch him play as a center forward or as a forward um i guess he was technically on the on the wing but those guys were in the middle a lot um it, you know he came pre- he, he did whatever he could to make himself available for the ball um daryl dK who you know who scored twice and kind of had a hat trick they gave it an own goal but um obviously he had a good game he didn't look very good against haiti but then again he came on late um, it's hard to say who I, you know, I think right now dK's the, the front runner, obviously because you know, uh, but he needs to get the ball you know he need, he needs good service. um, mm-hmm. and I think I don't know, maybe we'll see with Hoppy and uh and Robinson, I mean sorry with uh and dK, um, if that's something that keeps looking good. I mean, Hoppy I thought did pretty well, you know, mm-hmm. he, he made a couple he he, made, he blew a couple chances like that one before the second goal. And then he, like, did a really cool backheel to set up the shot by Buccio. Um And he had a great cross on the DK goal.
1: Mm-hmm. Dan? Uh,
2: yeah, Mike, beyond the U.S., uh, I'm just curious, in the Gold Cup in general, are, is there any teams that have, have impressed you with kind of how they've progressed over the years that play an interesting way or that you particularly like to watch?
0: Uh, well, in this tournament, I think it's a little too early. Uh, well, I, I have to say Canada because Canada usually never impressed anybody, right? right. Um, they were like a English team without all this skill. Um, but <laughs> the a, uh,
1: it's an oxymoron. <laughs> the old
0: English team, the new English team is obviously a lot better. Um, You know, obviously, it's interesting to watch Mexico after they started with a tie against Trinidad and Tobago. Otherwise, it seems. I mean, you know, Qatar is in this tournament too. So,
1: (laughs) so random, man. It's just so random. (laughs) You know, buying Um, their way into this tournament as well.
0: I mean, I gotta say, I do like the tournament because there's so many different styles to it. You know, Mm -hmm. but. um you know, so far I, I I would say that I I gotta wait until the knockout stage to see if there's something that really uh, you know is interesting. Well, I I mean El Salvador. I gotta mention El Salvador. They 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 uh, reach the second round after winning two games, um, coached by Hugo Perez and his son jerson Perez. Uh, Hugo Perez obviously being the U.S. Hall of Famer. So that's an interesting team to to follow. And and so far they're impressing. Guatemala is a weird one, right? Because Guatemala didn't qualify. They lost to Curacao. Then COVID on COVID situation, Caruso brought Guatemala in, which is weird because Guatemala should be, you know, sh- sh- should make it directly, but, you know.
1: You know I, I think this is a positive thing that, you know, uh, some of my, I call them helmet heads, like kind of football people, American football, where we're saying like Martinique, you know, and making I, I thought this is our game. It's, it's inclusive. All these small countries, I get to, they get to Oh play yeah, no, that, you know, it's that, really that a big soccer. That,
0: I think that's one of the reasons why soccer is becoming so popular among, people in the eyes especially young people because it's so interesting you watch a champions league game and there's uh you know on one team there's players from eight different countries uh you watch the gold cup and you you learn about countries uh or facts about martinique that you didn't know before you know it, it, it's one of those things that makes soccer you know so so
1: interesting absolutely and they're fun to watch grail
3: yeah just uh since we got the olympics coming up mike um, I just wanted to ask you a question about the U.S. women's national team. We've got uh, a big game against Sweden on July 21st. I'm a little concerned. Rails about, nervous about this one. No, no I'm, I'm a little concerned about the underperformance of some key players on our teams. And your player ratings have kind of supported that as well. I'm just, as we, as we kind of all eyes are towards that match, just curious what your feelings are about a Rapino and a Morgan and just how the team, unbeaten as it is, how it's shaping up entering this uh, the Olympic tournament? Well, it
0: this is an interesting tournament because there's only 12 teams, and the teams that I think have the best chance to really challenge the United States aren't there. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be France and Germany, and you know Spain's up and coming, and that's because the Europeans use the Women's World Cup as Olympic qualifying. You know uh, they do that because they have a European Championship that takes up the other dates, so. That allows uh, the U.S. a lot of, you know, leeway to bring in players who I wouldn't take if I was going to a to a world championship because, it, you know, I I I don't I mean if you look if you watch big tournaments for a long time, bringing injured players is usually a really bad idea. Um, you know, uh, usually you want player you there's a certain age average that usually wins which is around 26 27 usually you have veterans and some really young players young players bring a certain kind of fearlessness to a team yeah. um i you know they 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 might get a break with the extra uh expansion of the roster yeah. um that's going to be huge for them because i think if two or three other players are just are not going to be there tobin heath is probably the only one uh of the older players who you know i would probably take for sure the other ones i just not sure of, not that they're not good. I mean, they could have a great tournament, maybe you could have a great tournament, but um, you know, just historically speaking, they're a little bit on the, you know, not,
1: the kind of squad that you would expect to
0: bring to a world championship.
1: An Olympic team. Yeah. To, to sort of, you know, put players in basically what burhalter is going through right now. Um Let me ask you a question. It's been, you know, the last 10 days have been great for soccer people with all these games to watch, but the ratings have been great as well. You talked about young people. Is that what you was sort of attributed to the greater exposure with premier league and, and uh, Syria. Yeah. You know, Paul Kennedy like... at um, soccer America had it. Yeah. That's him now. The... He's going to get it. No, because I think, guys, you, we've read the ratings and it's, uh, you know, Grail, Grail always sort of, you know, stays up in the ratings. That's what he does. And so they've been really great numbers. And thinking about, you know, the NHL numbers, sorry, fellas, weren't so great. And and the NBA is down as well. So this is at a time when, you know, longtime American sports are on a downtrend and we're on an uptrend. Sorry.
3: That's your, your yeah, mom, you know i'll jump in and, and we'll let mike jump in when he returns but yeah, yeah. It, the good, good the good news is just the increase over you know tournament over tournament so the difference between the 2016 euros versus this when you're up 35 percent in ratings i mean yeah. it's it's all been a great story by the way for the networks which is yeah, I no, that, yeah good the, guys i was just going to say i
1: people are asking me out here uh about the games and usually that yeah. only happens during the world cup and so I was really excited. That you know, they were talking about the Neymar Messi matchup. You know, mm-hmm. the, the marketing oh, yeah. sort of names. They were talking about the Euros. It was really, it was really fun. And so many clueless fans that were at the bar that I was watching the the English final uh, with Italy on. And you know, they knew nothing about the game, but they were big English fans. And I asked the one woman why, and she said, "I watch the Premier League with my son every Saturday mm-hmm. morning." So I said, "This is a really good thing."
0: Yeah, no, I thought I thought about that too when we started this conversation. How many people? I've met and ran into um, who are watching it, who aren't your traditional soccer fans. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: Yeah. So Paul Kennedy had an article about this with the stats in soccer America, Mm -hmm. and he came up with four reasons for the big, you know, for the good numbers uh, uh, European championship, Copa American gold cup. Um, One was just the first one he says, it's just soccer is just growing, right? The interest in soccer just keeps growing and increasing. Um, Second one is that they were the first major soccer events on networks or cable Mm -hmm. after a lot of years of pay streaming networks like, uh, you know, ESPN Plus, Paramount. So those, most of those games everybody could get without doing something special. Uh, European Championship was the first major event that had fans in the stands. So that, you know, makes it more attractive and, and, you know, it it made those, and and the games were good, but I think that was a a big deal. And the other one was that uh, this would have been the first major sporting event, soccer, uh, that, Happen when bars and restaurants were open across the country, so you could have a lot of people watching them. You know, yeah,
1: yeah
3: I, so. I mean that would generate interest. Mike, those don't don't get used used in as part of the ratings, but they would certainly generate a lot of interest in the game. I think also, by the way, you know, um, you had the Wimbledon final at 9 a.m. on ESPN, and they were plugging the hell out of the upcoming Italy England final uh I'm, I'm not saying there's a huge correlation between tennis and soccer fans but i thought espn and and uh fox by the way did a great job of promoting those big games so i wouldn't discount that either
1: i i see the, they see the value in it today i remember the early days with espn mls had to pay espn to have the you know they deficit financed it to have it broadcast and now it, you know so much is changing within the television industry with the streaming well it's services also yeah
0: you know? it's interesting if you if you uh, if, if you have a chance to sort of get feedback from kids, say, 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 teenage kids, um, you now have teenage kids who don't play soccer, who are soccer fans. Mm-hmm. Right. Which I don't think you would have found before. Um, you know, they they're huge. Like they 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 care about Messi and, and Ronaldo and things like that. So it's just, you know, it's just the soccer going mainstream.
1: Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's even like Kevin Durant commenting on how much mess he makes, uh, you know, I, I talk about my nephew who doesn't play soccer, and yet he knew every Italian player, even the ones that were on the bench, and you know, <laughs> it was because of his Xbox stuff, you know, playing the games. It's uh, Yeah, that's a big one,
0: yeah. Didn't I predict Italy was going to win on the last show? Did, who did? Didn't I he, predict that Italy was going to win it?
1: We'd have to go think back I think we and take a that. very yeah, close look at that. Sure.
3: Sam, let's go back and look at the video. Mike's going to be like the Zabruder, then I think Zabruder, I Zabruder said, films.
2: No. Did you pick
0: I, um,
1: Italy? I listed, like, I listed like four favorites.
3: <laughs> well, <laughs> look, you know, but
1: bases. Sam is a huge uh, you know, Italy fan, series A fan. And I think, uh, you know, looking at what they went through to get there, they, they deserved it. and they, they, oh, had, yeah. they had a tough road to toe. And I think the English had an easy road to toe. And, you know, look, I said this at the top of the show. Uh, I, I don't want to live in a world where the, the English were going to be bragging for another couple of years. It just, it was, they ended the way I thought they would end. Um, but, you know, and then so, so sort of poorly with the, the abuse that the players got. The young guys who actually could lead them to a good showing in the World Cup, they've just, they've just depressed and the people have just kind of squeezed that out again. It's just always, they can't get well, out of the way. Well, I mean,
0: I think England would have done better with a different coach because. They now have some, you know, interesting creative players who he reluctantly put on the field, and then he put, and then the way he chose his penalty kick takers was, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, to have three young guys I, take the last three, to have
3: I young guys like a, talk,
0: take the la- take the I, fifth I, one you know how can he
3: be taking the fifth one if southgate had the tactical mind of mancini he'd be the perfect coach because i think he's actually a great coach in terms of the issues around the players and player management yeah player management management. is fantastic he's just not the tactical mind
0: but this whole thing about um like what the germans did in in two big tournaments in a row which is keep these veterans on the uh, on the field and put in the young guys for the last couple minutes or the last couple seconds you go back and watch France at the 2000, they won that. France won the 2018 World Cup because Deschamps believed in young players. Right. You now, while the like Mexico and Germany are using these old guys.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think in the Euros and uh, in the World Cup, players are tired anyway to begin with. And then the play is at even a higher rate because it's such a shortened tournament and guys are coming off their big season. So young guys kind of, you know, have that extra gear at that age. So it's, uh, so maybe, and then to put anybody in that lane um, is tough, it, whether you're a veteran yeah. or not. And then Harry Maguire steps up. I'm like, what What world are we living in? This is bizarre. He, he, he moved it, though, it. man. Yeah, he buried he it. Great um, one. He was determined. But I, I think you're right, Mike. I was very surprised. This group of English players are a new generation where they have that cockiness and swagger that you want a team. Well, yeah, I, I,
0: I think it traced – you probably traced it about 10 years ago where the English finally did what they should have done You know, 60 years ago is – realized that what they were doing for hundred years needed to be updated right. and start focusing on the technical. And then they had those great youth teams that won the U17 World Cup and the U20 World Cup and yeah. a few years back, um, you had all the foreign influence, right? So you have kids yeah. growing up watching um, the best teams in England played non-English soccer. So exactly. that had influence, right? Um, and then, so now you, I mean, you think back of watching England teams in the past, this team was the, the, the early games, not so much, but then later on, they, play. you know, there's pretty good soccer there that you wouldn't yeah. have seen before. You know, people will go nuts in England about, you know, Gaza or Rooney, like right. go crazy about it. Yeah, yeah. If those guys played for Argentina, they'd be just another player like Beckham, yeah. like Beckham would be like just another Argentine player, but because something special was so rare in England, they went, you know, crazy about that, and now you've yeah, got. But,
1: but a he's lot really of... handsome. He's really handsome, Mike. So he gets <laughs> yeah. him. But yeah. how about like the Azuri? I mean, Sam's. I mean, the Italians can play. It seems to me, uh, these are my thoughts. Are just that they can play any style they want. Uh, well, but they and, but they were better. Players. I mean,
0: they were a different Italian team. They you know they attacked like yeah. teams have never done before. Right. You know that yeah. was cool. I mean, Italy's always been an inter, you know has always been a great tournament team. You know, super smart sometimes it seemed like they would only do just as much as they needed to
1: do yeah yeah exactly you know just like why do you do that at the beginning of the
0: game why we have to wait here for the whole but uh but this was a different italian team these guys were fun to watch were packed, they were creative um you know there was only one (laughs) game where they kind of did a little bit of time-wasting, but, you know, people, I think that's overblown a little bit, but no, that was a fun, t- they totally deserved to, I don't think anybody in the world would think they didn't deserve it in that tournament. It's, uh,
1: Sam, it. Sam, is the criticism the same in Italy Uh, that, like, maybe the Brazilian team faces, where they if they win, so what, but they have to win in a in an entertaining fashion? Doesn't seem like that pressure was on there, but Like to Mike's point, this is really a new Italian team as well. Um, Yeah. Yeah,
2: no, there's not the same pressure, I wouldn't say. There's the pressure to win, certainly, uh, above all. I think in this tournament in particular, Mancini was given a ton of credit for making the country kind of fall in love with the national team again after missing the World Cup in 2018. Uh, And I think the biggest key to that was that he put together a really attractive, fun team, and he needed to because – basically just rolling out another kind of run of the mill Italian team just wouldn't have captured the imagination and they really needed something to kind of jumpstart that energy after missing the 2018
1: world cup. So so good stuff. This is a new age of soccer. I mean, you know, uh, these styles are starting to, to meld into each other. Like you said, Mike, you know, in the premier league, all these players are from everywhere. And I think the English players play with them. Mm-hmm. And they're not necessarily the dominant player. And you learn from, you know, I learned from the players I played with. I would mimic
3: and. and copy. I mean, F- Foden and Grealish could be international players. If you didn't know they were English, the way they play.
1: And they weren't in, they didn't get yeah. put in, which is, yeah. I think
3: what Mike, I think it
1: was what you were saying with like, you know, I think Southgate has managed these players. Well, apparently they were talking about how fun it is. They are a team. The older guys took the younger guys under their wings. It was, we're all for one and one for all type of thing, which classically apparently was not how the English teams were, which. We sort of saw that demonstrated in the papers and on the pitch. So, yeah. uh you know, so th- this is all good stuff. It's well, I'm glad Italy won there. too because I think Italy is an
0: interesting team for, you know, American players and coaches to watch, mm-hmm. um, especially historically on the defensive side. You know, they've had defenders who, you know, are five foot nine that are brilliant, you know, uh, skillful good players who defend by reading the game instead of, you know, just tackling hard.
1: Mike, the best players are all five foot nine. Uh, we, the world knows that. <laughs> or five uh, eight and a half.
2: <laughs> Sam, uh, yeah, Mike. Just to close, I just wanted to get your take on the NCAA season that's coming up. I mean, I guess not your take, but what what are what are we expecting? Should Should this just be kind of a return to to normalcy, or what have you heard?
0: Yeah, it's interesting. It it should be back to normal. You know, it's so odd when you think back on the last year and a half it's it seems like it's been a long time ago and on the other hand it seems like it went kind of fast so you had a lot of teams that didn't even play and then you had teams that played in the spring played in the fall um what'll be kind of interesting is we'll see what happens to the impact of players staying or players that didn't stay how did it affect uh you know, young players who who are going to colleges because the whole college scene has changed—not just with soccer, right, but also right. academically with not using the tests. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting.
1: That would have been my one year to get into Harvard. No SATs taken. I mean, I would have, I would have breezed in. <laughs> so, all right, well, Mike. So uh, before we let you go, let's get a prediction. You you predicted the Italians uh, in the <laughs> Euros, uh, one of four. Uh, but uh, what are you thinking for the U.S. Canada on Sunday?
0: Oh, that's an oh. um uh, either I don't know. <laughs>
3: uh, wow, really going out
0: of the uh, <laughs> It's possible the U.S. can win that one. Um, and it's pretty even. I mean, Canada. After, if you asked me, after the first game, I would have said Canada, but now I think they're pretty even. So maybe it'd be a tie.
1: Tie All right, but guys, what are, what are your predictions? I'm going two one U.S. Yeah, I'm going two nil U.S. Sam. Uh, I'll go two all. Yeah, I go
0: just... I go three two U.S.A. Oh, oh, we
1: like it. Uh, I wouldn't mind that. Be a nice, exciting game then. And, Alfonso and I'll remember Davis, that man, if he... that's
0: what happens. And if not, I won't mention it.
1: Alfonso <laughs> Davis was like hyperspeed. And when he was playing them last time, it was like unbelievable. He was just tooling on people. So uh, his rise was pretty quick. So we'll keep an eye on him as well. Is he is he in the tournament? No, no, he's not. OK, I'm glad I brought it up then. All right. <laughs> All right, Mike Quartola, executive editor of Soccer America, uh, one of our great sponsors. It's the paper to read, which is now online all the time. Uh, That keeps us up to date on everything. So we so appreciate you coming on, Mike, and uh, enjoy the rest of the tournament and and looking ahead to qualifying. It's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me back. Hey, remember to tweet us at OverTheBall, like us on Facebook and Instagram, and write a review. In fact, make us one of your favorites. It makes a big difference. All right. Love talking to Mike. Love waking him up in the morning, early out there in the West Coast. I'm on the East Coast now for a couple of weeks. So uh, that was great. But it's always, you know, it's uh, it's interesting. This, uh, I'm worried.
3: I'm, I'm worried what player ratings he gives the three of us. I mean, because I Mike He's, is a very candid raider. I mean, I think, you know, I might get a three. Flynn, maybe you get a five and Sam gets a seven. I think, if Taylor, I think if
1: Taylor Twelman uh, reviews you, uh, Grail, you're in trouble, man. I get no review.
3: I basically go N-A. That's what the review is. <laughs> I, I like Taylor. I like Taylor.
1: But I say he should stop his stories when they go into the attacking third of the field. Yes. And uh, something exciting is happening. So, uh, all right. Well, good stuff. So, Sam, what do we got this week? We have a quiz? You have yeah. No- Usually you find this obscure stuff that's really cool but you have a lot way to work to with humiliate
2: Flinney and Grail. Exactly. Yeah, I feel like
1: I'm back in science class <laughs> in high No,
2: I, I didn't I didn't go too deep this week. Um, but we do have as you know the networks have already started pointing out the World Cup in 2022 in Qatar. Now yes. less than 500 days away, which is not that unbelievable. Far. Counting uh, it down on my calendar. So and it's, it's going to be in
1: the the winter, right? Not not November. Uh, yeah, yeah, November
2: and December.
3: Yeah. So 000 degrees.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah. looking ahead as we've just had the Euro and the Copa America, I just thought we'd look at the odds from DraftKings at uh, who was favored to win the tournament. So there are two teams that are the co-favorites uh, for the trophy. Do you guys want to take a stab
1: at those? The two teams are the co-favorites for the trophy.
3: Well, I'm going to say Italy. It has to be. And I'm going to say That's France, France, France say Italy and France. Yeah. OK,
2: France is correct. Uh, Italy is not it's Brazil and they're both at 5.5 to 1 to well, win the tournament huh?
3: yes. and no Belgium those guys I think they haven't done yeah. it Belgium yeah. unfortunately yeah. I think so, they dropped a notch but not France yeah. I'd still put France up there so
2: next question what are the odds for uh, Euro winners Italy to win the World Cup
3: so what was the top odds Sam for the
2: 5.5 to 1
3: I'm gonna say 7 to 1 yeah that sounds right
2: okay 10 to 1 Oh. Really? So where so is the respect, respect saying,
3: Sam? Where is the respect?
2: Not a ton of love. So what <laughs> are the bookies. odds? What are the odds for Copa America winners, Argentina? Oh, I'm
3: going to say, say I'm going to say fifteen to one. 12, 12 to one.
2: Eleven to one. So you're right around yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, not a ton of respect though with Brazil as you know a joint favorite. Yeah. And uh, finally, what are the odds for the U.S. to win the 2022 World Cup?
3: I'm going to say I'm going to say thirty-five to one. 25 to one 80 to one. Oh, put
1: some bets on them. I'll throw punches with that. Oh my God. Where does that come out of England? (laughs)
3: That's from DraftKings.
1: That's out of Jersey or something. Jersey, same thing.
3: I mean, Flinny, be fair. It could go down to 79 to one by the time we get closer to the tournament.
1: Well, if they call us up, maybe. Yeah, exactly. We're ready. We're ready. Shore up the midfield. So, um, all right. Is that it, Sam? That's all. That's pretty good. That's enough. Um, Some great soccer. So, uh, Hey, I want to just give uh, some thoughts about the the passing of Paul Mariner. Um, You know, he's been on this show a couple of times when I was over at ESPN, I did not know him uh, that much as a player grail as as much as you did watching him play in England. What I, I felt like I knew him my whole life. When I, when he came into the studio, he gave me a hug, said he listened to the show. And just what a what a cool guy. Uh, and he's done a lot for this game in this country. I have loved these English guys who've come over and they've made their lives here, uh, mm. raised their kids here, um, helped out, coached, and his expertise. <laughs> and I heard one story about Paul, he was very funny. Um, yeah, very dry, very dry. Didn't get out to, to have beers with him, but one day a mother came up he was training a bunch of players you know young American players and this is back in the 80s when the skill level was not uh, incredibly high especially for the little ones and every parent thought their kid was going to be the next premier league player um, and the mother walked up to him and said um, you know why is my son not playing he said well his son's doing very well with trying to teach him the game and she, she goes well he's he's phenomenal and she he goes madam I'm, I'm just at this point, trying to teach him to juggle, you know, <laughs> and, and she was like, "Oh, oh it was just, it was just very funny." And um, guys, who uh, a lot of young players that I know who are now older guys like us, uh, you know, attribute a lot to him. He used to yeah. spot for different players, and uh, just he was a part of ESPN FC, and he was over there. And uh, I asked him to come on the show twice, and as busy as he was, he said absolutely, and came on both times. So yeah, and Stevie uh, he's Nickel, a, he's gave, a lost.
3: Stevie Nickel gave a very heartfelt uh, tribute to him on ESPN. FC. And uh, yeah, just a wonderful guy, great player in England for Ipswich Town, which was a great player in the first division in England in the 70s and 80s. And he played for uh, Sir Bobby Robson, who put Paul Mariner on a pedestal as one of the best players he'd ever coached. So he had serious game. I think he actually worked under Stevie Nicol at the New England Revolution as an assistant coach. But yeah, just a very understated guy, very funny, drippingly, you know, just dry. The, The sense of humor was so dry. But uh, yeah, just a big loss. Sixty-eight years old, way too young, obviously. Way too early. Yeah. And uh,
1: yeah, it's. I, I don't know. I did not know he was not well. So yeah. I don't know what's a better situation, whether people know and you can say your goodbyes, or or if you know. You just he, don't let, let he let he let them
3: know that he had brain cancer. I think about a year ago, and they just yeah. said he handled it with such amazing grace and dignity. So. Uh, so, all right. Well, so I thought some prayers to his family, a,
1: a great, uh, a great player, a great person, and he will be missed um, here and, and, uh, and everywhere else. So, uh, okay. That's all the time we have today, everybody uh, on over the ball. Like to thank our guest Mike Coitola. And again, thoughts and prayers out to the Paul Mariner's family uh, during this difficult time uh, for Sam Griswold. And what's your name? Grail Hallett. Uh, listening to overball, We'll talk to you next time, everybody.